Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Kirschman, and really excited for today's episode with Bill Fagan, CEO of Aspire Group. And Bill's got a lot of different experiences he can uh, shed some light on for us today and, and really excited to talk to him about not only leadership, growing leaders, and ultimately um, what it's like to be in the CEO seat as well. So Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, and Jake, really glad to be here. Absolutely. So we've had we've had Bernie on, we've had Chad on from the Aspire Group. We've uh, we're, we're going to release uh, in a little bit an episode with Jack as well, and excited to have uh, yourself on with the Aspire Group. I think it it rounds you guys out. Uh, pretty pretty good representation. Yeah, that's a lot of content. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You, you know us better. You know our, our team better than I do. Perhaps that's very cool. <laughs> so as we're as we're doing this Zoom uh, recording, I see in your background you've got on your whiteboard control what you can control, and I'd have to imagine that's either your daily quote or that's something you keep up every day. Um, but why don't you kind of start us off with how you got to where you are, and and is that part of of how you got to where you are? Yeah, the, the mantra and of controlling what you can control. I first heard it as an entry-level sales consultant with Phoenix Suns. Um, and Mike Toman hired me, at, he was the inside sales manager and, and that was part of the playbook. You know, it, we were learning to sell and, and you know, although it wasn't the theme, it was certainly referenced on many occasions. And, you know, the reason that it's, it's behind me and, and as a constant reminder, is that um, now more than ever, you know, there's so much that's out of our control. And so what can we do except, you know, focus on our time, our energy, our effort, our work ethic, and our attitude. And so all of that really, you know, started at those entry levels. And so when I graduated from the University of Miami, I had a couple of nice internships. Um, and I thought, you know, my resume was stacked for a career in sports, but I wasn't getting any opportunities. And when I eventually got the opportunity to start in inside sales in Phoenix with the Suns, you know, I, I was the new person on the block. I joined a team that was 12 people. I was the 12th, uh, 11 started four months before me. So they had a real running start. Uh, one person left and that left an opening for me. And when I joined, I was, I had a lot of catching up to do. The revenue board was pretty daunting. It was taunting. Uh, I looked up at it and, if I let that distract me, it would have been distracting. And instead, I learned thanks to the coaching I received, which was what can I control? I can control my technique, so I can focus on my getting better at my craft. I can focus on how many calls I was making. I could focus on uh, the conversations I was having and the number of face-to-face -face appointments I was setting. Controlling those things, eventually, what we now call with the Aspire Group, the root or the activity eventually led to the fruit, which was the revenue. And so by the end of that, you know, first year cycle, um, you know, I had done over $550,000 of ticket revenue when my goal was $125,000, not necessarily focusing on the 125 goal, but focusing on the controllable things. And that, you know, helped set me up for a promotion after 13 months to an account executive level position with the ECHL hockey club that was introduced and then eventually into marketing partnerships or sponsorships still within the same umbrella. 
And, but my, my passion and, and kind of, I think, you know, where I'm excited to go today with you is, was my passion was sharing everything I had been through with the next generation uh, of, of rising stars. And that was the, the starting level sales consultants or the people starting their careers. So I was in the sponsorship sales role. I was on a different floor, but the VP of ticketing was calling me in periodically to come train and spend time with the entry level staff. And what they did is they had these voluntary role plays at 7 a.m. And then they had these 5 p.m. objection meetings. And so I would go in there as the coach and it was just whoever wanted to show up. And I would walk out of there at 7.30, 8 a.m. or at 5.30 p.m. And I was the most energized I was of the entire day. What was happening you know, kind of inside the, the clock um, was awesome. I loved my job, but that's what got me fired up and gave me my energy. And so it was a sign to me that being coach, mentor, manager was really attractive. And so I shared that with my mentors and eventually led to my first management opportunity, which happened to be in Canada with one of those mentors in the Canadian Hockey League with the Moncton Wildcats and then to the Charlotte Bobcats as inside sales manager. And then my phone rang with the Aspire Group as this relatively startup company to join them as their first employee and start what we now term as our fan relationship management center business at Georgia Tech and over the last 11 years has continued to grow. But you know, it was really all about focusing on the current job, the current whatever was in front of you and then, you know, opportunity would find you yeah and it's and it's a great story that leads to i mean you were what bernie's first or second couple employees that were yeah, that were hired and now you've got yeah number one and now you've got 200 plus and to see that growth i mean that's got to be a pretty cool process with what you just shared about your passions right oh it's so rewarding and and we've hired over 1100 people in these 11 years it's unbelievable you think about it that way and full-time employees these are not students or part-timers and and in that respect it's very rewarding um i i, I what i'm most proud of in in the, this period is that we've developed uh, 63 managers internally that started with us as recent college graduates these are people that you know, didn't necessarily have a, much of a resume except they were just starting their careers and through our Raise Your Game Executive Development Program, through spending time, energy, effort together with them, eventually they became leaders in our own system, uh, in our own family, and went on to become managers of their own operations or managers within an operation. And that 63 number, I don't think there's a number close in the industry of an organization that has developed that many leaders internally in that period. And most of those leaders have actually gone on to continue to grow professionally, externally, but um, I'm really proud of that organic internal development. So you mentioned that, and not only is it, look, when, when you first get your first foot in the door, right, you probably go one of two paths. You either figure out that it's not for you, <laughs> or you love it and you flourish and you, know, you continue to grow either internally or you find another opportunity externally. What's your focus in terms of what, when, when someone's first steps foot in the door at the Aspire Group, what are you telling them that, that, that ultimately motivates them and, and kind of helps them in figuring out that either 
direction X or direction Y? Well, it's, it's focus on today, focus on, on the things that you can control. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna pour ourselves and our, our, our experience into you. So you, that being said, we're pretty clear up front that the, the initial job that you accept with us, which is typically a sales consultant role, that's a job that we're not expecting you to be in in 10 years, five years, not even three years. That's a job you know, that's relatively short term, you know, but, it, but commit to it. Commit to it for a year and commit to it to eight, for 18 months because you know, typically within the first six months, that those, an, those questions answer themselves. And so we focus on the route and the technique and make sure that we're providing them all of the training necessary, not just for that job, not just how to sell a ticket and how to create a nice fan experience, but preparing them for the future of their careers, whether that's within sports business or not. And so we, we my, my LinkedIn and text message thread, I'm so rewarded when people text or follow up that have now, they're now Aspire alumni and they say, Nobody's had better training than you, and I've now worked at X number of companies. Nobody's invested in us outside of kind of the core functions of our job the way that you did. And that's so rewarding. I mean, we're just a small mom and pop is the way I view us. And yet when they've gone on to you know, Fortune 500 companies and other organizations, it's so rewarding to know that the time and energy we invested in them is paying for them. And the training component is so critical. We're, the, we're one of the few, or maybe the only, that have our own in-house VP of training, Boz, and you know, it's him, but it's not only him. We have a culture of training and development. So we invest every day, every week, and every month into continued ed education so that we're preparing people for the game of chess two and three steps down the road, not just the game of checkers and what's gonna happen today and tomorrow. When you talk about your VP of training and, and how you really fill your culture with that, right? And, and knowing that, hey, there's going to be opportunities to learn, whether it's weekly, monthly, biannually, whatever the case might be. Um, and we, you know, before this, we were talking about virtual and how, you know, you might be able to really actually expand that, that educational piece from a virtual perspective as opposed to, um, you know, just something internally. And, and there's a lot of different ways you can go about it now, right? And how you know, different reps can learn from each other, different managers can learn from each other, different executives, but it's not just scaled up, right? It's also what can you learn from a sales consultant now, right? Or what can the manager learn from the sales consultant, right? It's, it's not just up, it's also down. 100%. One of the best aha moments for me in this respect um, is this concept of mentoring and mentorship. Uh, when, when we hear about mentoring, you think about the, looking up, who is your mentor? Or if you are the mentor, you're, 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 you're providing mentorship to someone who has less experience perhaps. Uh, and I think it's a very narrow view. Mentorship is 360. And so if we're really listening, the next generation of leaders is actually behind me for sure in terms of their career path. And so it's, it's, it's simple things. It's, you know, what's the pulse 
on the floor? What's the pulse of a recent college graduate? Like, what do they really care about? You know, right now, social issues, social justice. I mean, are we walking our talk in that respect? And if not, like, we better listen up and respond accordingly. And so, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to remember two ears, one mouth, really listening. The, the career path is a reverse pyramid. It's not the CEO and chairman at the top as we see it. It's the opposite. You know, we are serving everyone else. And we're, we can only do that if we understand their perspective. And that requires a lot of, a lot of high touch, uh, virtual contact. You know, we would say a lot of site visits to their locations. We have more than 40 locations. And, you know, realistically, we're not going to get to one person's not going to get to all of them in a given year. These days, that's okay because we have technology. But if we can have video conversations with all of them and we can create dialogue through a chat box that's more connected and break down some of those barriers so that a person in a one or two person operation suddenly feels like they're not alone because there's somebody across the country that's in the same family that's going through something similar and now they, they can relate to that, that is powerful. And so that's the advent of what we're experiencing right now, thanks to technology, is we don't have to have an, uh, an all-employee get-together and in-person to accomplish that. That can be done in a, in a virtual setting. Um, we just have to set the table. Yeah, and, and really it's, it's being, you know, being the embracer of change, right? Not necessarily going a full 360 and flipping completely and, and changing everything, but just understanding where change matters, where change can make a difference, and how it's going to and help or going to help improve, you know, not only internal processes, but motivation uh, and culture, et cetera. When you think about your seat and, and how you got to become a CEO, and now the position you sit in, if you were to think backwards of you know, when you very first started in that Phoenix Suns, um, you know, inside sales role, and, and you thought about the CEO and what you thought about a CEO when you were, you know, at, at very starting uh, point, mm -hmm. what, what kind of perspectives come to mind or, or what have you learned over the years um, that maybe stands out that others can learn from? I never thought I'd be a CEO, that's for sure. Um, when I was in that chair, I, I, I um, I, I thought I didn't dream that big. I mean, and, and I think you're, you only know what you see. I mean, there, were, there was no one in my immediate circle family that had ever gone through that kind of journey. Um, and so, but I knew that the coaching I received and the consistent message I always got was do the best of what you, what's in front of you. You know, as, as a child, it's finish your plate, you know, you don't leave the table till you're, you're done with your meal. And that same analogy, you know, later as you're in the early stages of your career, it's finish the job, you know, finish the drill. You may not like practice, but do it, take pride in it. You know, I think back to my high school um, days as a, as a student athlete, if you will. And I think, man, what if I stayed a little bit longer and I got some extra reps in and I, I did a little bit more, like, I know I could have been better, like, but I didn't have that awareness at that moment as a teenager. Um, fortunately going into professional career, I had that coaching early on, whether you, you know, those of you that are listening, whether you get that coaching or not allow this to be your coaching to really hone in on 
being the best at the opportunity you have. And my, my firm belief is that the next opportunity will find you if you're really good at the current job. Don't get distracted by all the opportunities and external things, but really focus and the opportunity will find you. And invariably that's what happened. You know, I've never applied for a job since that first job in Phoenix. And I had applied for over 150 jobs before I got that one in one, one summer alone. Incredible. And since that time I haven't had to. So I'm very fortunate and, but it's only because I've focused on the current job. And, and, and when, when, when I thought of, when I joined Aspire, that was a big turning point um, in terms of how I viewed the world. I'm an entrepreneur in spirit. And so taking risk is something I'm comfortable with. And joining a startup at the time was something that was risky coming from an NBA background where things are predictable. You had a traditional kind of career path and tra trajectory, but I was excited about doing something a little different, taking what I'd learned and sharing it, and then making sure that I was aligned with great leadership, which you know we have with Aspire, and, um, and then trusting the process. And then the rest just happens. Like, so whatever number of promotions have happened since I joined, you know, is a function of focusing on the current reality. Otherwise, you know, tomorrow is, is insignificant. Sure. No, you make a great point. And I want to hit on the fact that, you know, you just touched on the whole professional aspect, right? But there's a whole another 50% or even more that's personal development, mm -hmm. right? outside of your professional development, there's personal development, which can actually drive your professional development. Yeah. How do you focus on the personal side? And, and what are the things that people should just be thinking about as a whole from a personal development side? Ongoing education. So that can come in many forms. It could be, it could come from listening to podcasts. It could come from reading. It could come from, um, reaching out to people whose career paths are just interesting to you. It could come from things off the field or off the business in terms of what are you doing personally to invest in yourself, whether it's the, the way you eat to the way you exercise or not, and the choices you make in your lifestyle. Like all of those things are shaping eventually kind of the, your own body of, of who you are. And I think, you know, for me, I was always, I was, I've always been very focused on my career and but the, the education component really hit home in the last 10 years. When I joined Aspire 11 years ago, our founder, Bernie, would say to me, coming from a professor's background, he would say, what about going back to get your MBA? And I would say, yeah, I'm not really, I never really thought about it. And, and, and frankly, I wasn't convinced that was important for, the, for me because of the industry that I, I'm in and we're in that, I didn't, it wasn't a trigger that if you get that degree, it will mean X. And so I wasn't convinced that it was required. The more time I spent with Bernie and the more time he con continued to ask that question, the more I continued to explore myself. And at that time I was managing one and then multiple locations, many multiple managing managers. And what I realized is all of my experience was in one narrow path, sales and to some extent sales and marketing sponsorship which in the scheme of business is pretty narrow. I knew that if I was going to ever make it to the chair that I'm in today as CEO, I needed to understand the rest of the world, the rest of business, and certainly outside of sports. And so once I came to that realization that if I was gonna be an effective CEO, 
not just anointed CEO because that was the next in line, but be effective. I needed to have a broader sense and understand what was happening in operations, understand what was happening in finance, accounting, analytics, human resources. And the best way to do that was going back for my MBA. So when I had the opportunity to do that through an executive program while I continued to work at Emory, best decision ever, because I continued to work. I was immediately connected with a cohort who were completely different than me, vast backgrounds that were different, yet challenging, inspirational, and forced massive time management skills so that you, know, you had your work life, you had your school life, you had your personal life, and you had to make some cuts along the way because there's only so many hours in the day. And that was a massive preparation tool for the current role. And that really set me up. It gave me exposure to all those areas that I outlined that I didn't have before. I'm never going to be an expert in the area of analytics. I'll never be an expert in human resources or in finance and accounting, but I know enough to be dangerous. And if any, if nothing else, I can ask the right questions. Yeah. Asking the right questions is so important. And at least just understanding what that other person's going through to then ask the right questions, ultimately to figure out how you can at least help right? And, and be of assistance. And if not, you probably know someone who can <laughs> figure out how to get that person to help you, right? Because it's, it's a team effort. Um, as we wrap up the episode, you know, it's, it's really interesting to hear that point about, you know, getting your MBA and, and ultimately um, it's, you know, you didn't just go back to get the degree and the piece of paper, right? That, that really doesn't do you anything. So, I want to ask you, what perspectives did you walk into the classroom with that made it beneficial to where, even if you don't go get your MBA, but maybe you decide to take some kind of certificate program or some continuing education, whatever it might be, or maybe you just haven't um, even thought about what perspectives it can give you or it can provide you, like you were talking about, you weren't really sure what it would do for you. What perspectives did you have to have in mind when you walked into the classroom to help you in what you were doing at work? I remember sitting in the um, in the in the room with a dozen other prospective uh, applicants or candidates, and it was a Q and A type format. And I remember thinking to myself, "I got to be the first one to ask a question," like. And so have a, have a question set prepared. And for me, that was just simple. Maybe it was competitiveness. Maybe it was I just anxious to learn. But I was like, I'm here. Let's make the most of it. So I was the first with my hand up. Like, it wasn't a comfortable feeling. But like, getting up, saying my name, who I was, and what my question was, like, as simple as that was for some people, for me, it was like, all right, if I do this, I'm committing. And, and so my perspective from sitting in that classroom as a guest was make the most of this time, whether this is the right program or not. And then once I'd committed, you know, it was same rules. Like I remember day one, what seat you sit in in the classroom. Like that was a meaningful decision for me because I didn't, I, I wanted to be an uncomfortable position because that was the only way I was going to grow. I didn't want to be typecast as the sports business guy. I wanted to be a contributor and that meant I had to be vulnerable and acknowledge that I was not an expert in areas and go in and lean in to people from different cultures and backgrounds, a third of which were not born in America and they're in very great positions in, in, in their own industries today. And so 
leaning into those uncomfortable areas was something that I got more comfortable with through the program and actually helped build my confidence in, in my, in certain ways and in, in ways that I had not acknowledged in my day to day, because I had this third party perspective, this reflection of people around me that said, Hey, you were really good when you did that. Or I really liked when you asked that question and I could provide that similar feedback to my cohort and my peers. And so I think, you know, for somebody who was, not interested in going and getting ongoing education. Um, testing it was value, but testing it with meaning, not because somebody told you, hey, go go do this, go listen to this, go go try, go sit in on this classroom. That's different than saying, hey, I heard my my manager tell me that I need to work on my self-awareness or I need to work on my listening skills or whatever that skill may be. And then going and attacking it personally and owning it and saying, you know what, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to make the most of that experience. And frankly, it's kind of nice because the cool thing about being in the classroom versus being at work is the two separate environments. So I can, not, I wasn't a different person, but I could try different things and eat one or the other. And they were these different sort of universes. And that was the beauty of it. When you become a student, you're you've got a different hat on than when you're a professional or at home and that allows you this different perspective in that triangle of the of the pyramid to to try different things out and that's where you really grow and hopefully you that helps you grow in the other areas that i referenced and so um i couldn't speak enough for you know i i got a heck of a lot more out of that educational experience than i anticipated and i would encourage um, you know, those, whether you're considering going back to school or not, that it's, you don't have to make that decision quickly. And for me, I would, I, it helped me to wait a decade or more to make that decision and take that action because I got more out of it because I had, I could give more. And by giving more, I got more out of it. If I was to go immediately into grad school, I would have had less to give, you know, less life experience, less questions to ask. And with perspective and with hindsight now uh, i came out of it you know just so energized and so ready for you know life's challenges and with a with a new perspective on everything yeah as i'm listening to you talk about that experience i almost think like even if you maybe let's just say you don't have the money right now to do that or you don't have the opportunity or your family situation doesn't afford you the time of the day to to go and do that can you create your own MBA, right? Like, can you, can you reach out to different people in finance that are not in sports or accounting and HR that are not in sports to essentially create your own in, in some respect? Jake, I'm, I'm glad you're asking. You're doing it with your, with your podcast. That This is one of the tips I give people all the time that are looking to expand their career horizons is the job market may or may not be what you want. The job that you aspire for may not be there right now, or you may not be the finalist for that job. But what is that job that you're actually interested in? And go to that staff directory of the person in the role that you aspire to sit in and email them, send them a LinkedIn message, send them a note, and you'd be surprised on how many of them will respond and be willing to take your call, take your Zoom call, whatever it may be. And that's where you learn. And invariably what happens is this sort of 
unintended positive consequence, which is that person you get on that person's radar. Now suddenly when you have, they have a job opening, they think about, oh, well, this person is interested in this career path. Maybe I would think about them. And you're creating this momentum and that exposure, what you described in reaching out to people relatively cold, that's how you build relationships. That's how you build connections. I had zero connections in this industry. I know at one point you had no connections in the industry. That's not required. There's no, there's no wiring that's required. You can start from zero, but it is, it, it does take, you know, self-ownership to take those actions, but there's no, no better place to start than now. Use the, the social media resources that are available. Use the web resources that are available and keep swinging because eventually you're going to get contact. And then be sure that when you get that call or that contact, you're ready with questions. You're ready with, um, you're ready to learn and grow and make most of that connection. Yeah, I always go back to uh, one of the one of the people I worked for at the Rose Bowl, Jens Wyden, who had had given the advice of if you meet one person new a week, by the end of the year you'll have 52 new connections. You may not like all 52, but even if you take half of that, right, that's 26 new people that you can rely upon and lean on from an educational perspective and a network. I mean, you just take the baby steps, focus on the process like you talked about at the beginning of the episode and your network is starting to grow from from zero. So Bill, can't thank you enough for your advice, insights and time on today's podcast and uh, look forward to certainly having you on again in the future. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate the time. All the best. <laughs>